Well, now we're going to continue our summer series on the wonders of the world with one of an iconic landmark a little bit, well, further afield today. And this week we're travelling across the globe to Australia and architectural historian Daniela O'Donovan is back again to tell me about the Sydney Opera House. Daniela, um, why is this such an iconic building? Well, you know, just to state how iconic it is, it's actually um, the youngest one we're going to talk about, but it's already a UNESCO World Heritage Site. It's only It was only 30 years old when it was made that. And if you think of Irish uh, World Heritage Sites, we've got Bruna Bonia and we've got Skellig Vickel, and they're slightly older. So this one is a really... It's a big one. Mm-hmm. And um, I suppose, again, we were talking about all these different buildings and we've said that lots of them were designed to be iconic and Sydney Opera House was absolutely designed to be iconic. And like the Eiffel Tower, it was the, the kind of winning entry of an architectural competition and that always makes people kind of push the boundaries and do exciting things. So the competition was um, was held in 1956 and it was kind of an international design competition. Uh, they said, we want a new national uh, opera House for Australia and they got 233 entries from 32 countries um, and the design of this really unknown young Danish architect called Jorn Utzon was chosen Okay. Um, and it was they chose it because they said that the white sail-like forms of the shell vaults relate so naturally to the harbour as the sails of its yachts and the dynamic form of this vo- of its vaulted shape contrasts with the buildings which form its background and give it a special significance to the project um, in the total landscape of the harbour. So they saw how it was going to look and anybody who's been to Sydney and seen the Opera House will know it's just in such an amazing I've position out there. there. I, I've seen it. It's, un, it's fabulous. It's just gorgeous. Like, it's a must-see building, isn't it? You know, um, uh, but there are jokes about it. You know, my mum was reared in Sydney, and she always called it the nuns in a scrum. And apparently, uh, Dame Edna Everidge. I remember hearing her as a little kid saying that she had seen a waiter folding napkins in a restaurant and had said, "You know, enter the competition, doll," and he won. You know, no way. <laughs> so <laughs> there are jokes about it too. You know, and tell us as well, Daniela. It's like it's a totally different looking building as you kind of mentioned but how did they actually build it? Well, yeah, that's a really interesting thing because the competition was run with one with really beautiful kind of impressionistic and schematic drawings. But the business of actually building this in the 1950s was a massive challenge. So essentially, he he won the competition and he hadn't a rashers how they were going to make this building stand up. But as soon as Utzon won, they called on um, on an an engineer called Ove Arup, and people will recognise that name Arup, I'd say, from big, you know, projects all over Ireland and all over the world. They're now a massive engineering firm. But Ove Arup was this Anglo-Danish engineer who was famous for working with concrete. And anybody who's been to London Zoo and seen the beautiful kind of curving concrete penguin pool, well, that was an Arup project to build. So Arup and Utzon then start to try and work out how to build the thing. And I have to give a special mention to an Irish architect called Peter Rice who was part of that team. He okay. was one of the, a member of Arab's office and went on to work on some of the most amazing buildings in the world. He's definitely, you know, the subject of another chat. But this team, they were really collaborative and they were kind of, they were experimenting and they went through all of these different phases. So like, were they going to make them single shell vault? Will they make these them double shells? Will they do systems of arches or ribs, almost like kind of a Gothic building? And they eventually, after 12 iterations of how this thing was going to work, came upon a really brilliant solution, which was... But it took 12 times. 
12 times. And it was over four years uh, that it took them to work this out. Uh, so this is a really long project, you know, mm. of them just, just to get, because it was so totally experimental. You know, lots of 50s architecture was quite blocky and boxy and this was so organic. They were like, how are we going to do it, you know? But they realised that each of those beautiful kind of shell vault forms could be defined as um, on the surface of one sphere, and they could work out all the engineering calculations around this sphere, you see. And apparently uh, one of them was peeling an orange and had a kind of eureka moment, you know. Mm. But the difficult thing was that, you know, this was, you know, it's one of these showcase projects and the New South Wales government were sitting there waiting for this thing to come out of the ground. Um, and you know, they've waited two years by 1959 and they're like, you have to start laying foundations and making this thing happen. They're, the budget's in place. People are waiting to see this thing. You have to start building it. So they actually started laying the foundations and things in 1959, way before. If you think of that roof being designed 12 yeah. times, they were not at the 12th version. <laughs> so by the time they actually worked out how they were going to do it, a lot of the groundworks had to be redone. You know, so uh, that started to make the project kind of cost a lot of money um, and overrun in terms of time, you know. But um, once they'd worked out the beautiful exterior of the shell vaults, Utzon then started to think about how they're going to make the inside of the concert halls look. Um, and he really wanted to make it so that you know, it's such a thrilling building to see from the outside. I know you've seen it and yeah, it's yeah. just it's just a wow, isn't it? Yeah, it's and he wanted the inside to be as good. So he was thinking, well, would he suspend plywood? Or he came up with this idea of having kind of a curved plywood box beams, which is actually quite modern. You see them in a lot of modern buildings now. And they would work acoustically and they'd make it so that you could feel the kind of shape of the building on the inside too. But unfortunately, at this stage, the project really started to turn sour because there'd been a general election and the Labour government, who had been really behind the project, where they lost power and a Conservative government came in and they had been on the opposition benches screaming about the Opera House for a couple of years, just saying it was a waste of money and the project had got out of hand and everything. So they basically took the project and handed it over to the Australian version of the Office of Public Works okay. who really started to rein it in and they wanted to start kind of saying, you know, we don't want these plywood box beams, it's way too expensive. And at this point, Arup, who had been a great collaborator with Utzon, sided with the, you know, with the forces of conservatism and Utzon upped and left Sydney in 1966, six years before the building was finished. So when it was finally designed, it was always designed with the intention, though, of being a working opera house. That was always the the plan. Yeah, that, that was always the plan, you know. And, uh, and Utzon had ideas for how he was going to make it work as an opera house with the acoustics and everything. So there was going to be two big halls, a grand hall and a kind of smaller hall. And Utzon had seen them as working kind of fluidly together, you know. And you could use, you know, both for lots of different functions. But in the end, it kind of turned out that the concert hall became a, con a venue for big concerts. Mm -hmm. And the smaller hall was kind of more like an, an opera theatre, uh, you know, because the the... At that stage, the project was taken over by another team of architects who saw it through to completion. Is it an influential building, Daniela? Oh, my goodness. It's so influential. I mean, I was talking last week about the Leaning Tower of Pisa and the fact that I have a Leaning Tower of Pisa lamp, but both of my architect 
brother-in-laws have Sydney Opera House lamps in their right. living room. <laughs> and you know, there's a, a quite a famous um, modernist architect called Le Corbusier, who people call the, the father of modernism. And he was a Swiss architect. Um, and he was famous actually for, well, he's famous in Ireland because loads of people might know him as the, the man who did all of the unwanted murals on Eileen Gray's beautiful villa down in the south of France, E1027. Um, I think he was quite a jealous architect. So he was jealous of Eileen Gray's beautiful building. And he also, he never drew other people's buildings. He was like, I took all of my inspiration from classical architecture. You know, I'm not influenced by anyone else. I'm a genius. But Utzon was a huge fan of Le Corbusier. And Utzon actually asked him to come and help with the interior decorations of the building. Okay. And um, so Le Corbusier designed a tapestry and enamel. Unfortunately, neither of them went into the building because Utzon left the project. But as part of his design drawings, Le Corbusier drew the opera house. So it was that's like the ultimate, you know, kind of a thumbs up from the yeah, architecture yeah. world. And and he went on to win the Pritzker Prize, Utzon did, in 2003, which is awarded to people who've made, you know, outstanding and continued um kind of contributions to architecture. So he's very much been recognised as as a great. It it's a stunning set, um setting where it is located obviously on the um on, on the Sydney Harbour. But can I just ask you finally Danielle, how do you balance being a World Heritage site with actually being a kind of a functioning building, you know, that's still um its use it's 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 still being used for its original purpose, if you like? Yeah, I mean, 8 million people are there every year and about 2 million of them are attending concerts. So it's a working opera house, you know. And when it was listed as a World Heritage Site, um, a part of the listing was its function. They said, you know, it's such a beautiful use of the site that the, the kind of the function of it has to continue. And, and it has been a challenge. They did two things. They got a conservation plan together so that they were always being really careful. They're always balancing, you know, thinking about kind of have a, a kind of a, a list of all the most significant bits and way out way up how how you change things and what you just cannot change and they also did something really special they invited Utzon back um, so in the very late 1990s when they were starting to think about doing some upgrade works on the opera house so they knew they had to fix the acoustics. It was quite famous for having bad acoustics. Um, they knew that they had to do accessibility stuff, you know, because they didn't have any escalators. The lifts were quite badly accessed. And, you know, it's now universal accessibility. So they had to try and make that happen. Um, and so they asked Hudson back. He came back on board, designed some new spaces for them. And he also... Um, wrote this document with his son called the Utzon Design Principles. So they're able to have his vision of what he was thinking about when he first designed the building and how he thinks it could evolve, okay. which is amazing. I mean, you can't imagine, you know, the, the architect of Newgrange being able to ask him, what do you think we should do here, you know? And that's been a, a really special part of, of the Opera House as a World Heritage Site. My thanks to you, uh, Danielle O'Donovan, of course, uh, from um, Architectural Historian. I know you've come from Nanonagel Place today, but you're actually heading to... West Cork. I'm heading west um, to the West Cork History Festival where we've got loads of great things happening over the we uh, the weekend. Good it's in stuff. Skibbereen. And I'm in charge of the History Disco, so I better go and okay. get on the bus and get down there. <laughs> well, listen, <laughs> enjoy so it. Much, and my thanks so much, Danielle, for your um, really insightful insight, if you like, inside the Sydney Opera House today. It was a great pleasure. Thank you.